Welcome to Lompoc Foursquare Church's podcast. Enjoy the message. It's good to see all of you. Pastor Bernie, if you, if you haven't figured it out yet, is not here today. Uh, Pastor Bernie and Debbie and Jamie all traveled to Colorado to watch their son Brian graduate from Colorado State University. Um, and this is really the first time in, I think, almost a year and a half that Pastor Bernie has not been physically here either preaching or preaching someplace else. So this is his first weekend off in like a year and a half. So uh, we are blessed to have an incredible pastor. Amen. Uh, today, I am going to bring a message to you, and I hope that you receive it well. And I'm going to check with you a couple times to make sure you don't fall asleep on me, okay, as we go through this. So let's, uh, let's take a look at some of God's handiwork. This is one of the 2.2 trillion galaxies that are in the known universe as of last week. Uh, the number went up from about 1.8 to 2.2 trillion galaxies. That's the Andromeda galaxy, which is close to the Milky Way, which is what we're part of, but 2.2 trillion galaxies. The number keeps going up because we keep making new devices that have higher levels of sensitivity, which allows us to see farther and farther and farther out into the universe. But uh, God doesn't have any problem seeing the universe. He snapped his fingers in 2.2 trillion galaxies. It's amazing. Now, let's take a look at something we're all familiar with, right? You know where you live? Live on the earth. God did a great job. The earth is just at the right point away from the sun so that we don't burn up or freeze, right? We're spinning at about 60,000 miles an hour around the sun, which gives us gravity and keeps you all in your seats right now. You're not floating around. It's an awesome thing. Let's take a look at the next one. Isn't that a nice sunset? That is the view from Maui looking at Molokai over in Hawaii, something I'm very familiar with. We love this place. Is God's handiwork great or not? Raise your hand if you think it's great. See, raising your hand tells me that you're still asleep, alive, right? You're awake. What we're going to talk about today is God's creation. You are part of God's creation. Every single one of us is God's creation. Now, Many of us struggle with this next statement. We struggle believing and fully accepting in our heart this next statement, and it's your first fill-in on your outline. God created us. People don't have a hard time with that one, but they have a hard time with this one, and called us his masterpiece. How many of you in here feel like a masterpiece of God? Good, good. God has called us, created us. He calls us his masterpiece, just like the universe, just like the earth, just like a beautiful sunset. God wants us to live a life that is a masterpiece. Now, Ephesians 2.10 tells us, we're going to read this together. Ready? Go. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do good things he planned for us long ago. From the Old Testament, book of Psalms, let's read it together. Ready? Go. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous, how well I know it. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion, as I was woven together in the dark of the womb. You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. God is thinking about you before you were ever created. God has planned out the works you will do in your life before you took your first breath. Old Testament, New Testament together, God loves you. He created you. You are a unique creation in his eyes, and he calls you a masterpiece. Let's look at some other truths from Scripture. It tells us that you're a special creation of God, that we're one of a kind. We are unique. There is never going to be another person like you that has come before you or after you in time. 
God only creates things with value, right? He never creates things that don't have value, and God never makes a mistake. I know sometimes kids joke, oh, my, my parents called me a mistake, right? It's not a great thing to say to a kid, by the way, even if you're joking. God never creates a mistake. There might be a mistake in parents, right? But there's never a mistake in child in terms of where things are at. So keep that in your heart. We have been designed to fulfill a unique role in God's plan. Every single one of us is a piece of God's puzzle. We all have different abilities, talents, and we're going to talk about that today as we work our way through this. So the hard question that people have been asking for centuries is, what on earth am I here for? Right? Have you ever wondered that? What am I here for? Different points in your life, maybe you're wondering that right now. God has a plan for your life, and we're going to work our way through and talk about six different facets of your life using the acrostic design. But before we get there, I want to read you a quote from an inventor and an author by the name of Tom Patterson. Now, some of you probably don't know that name off the top of your head. Tom Patterson loved God and has made a huge contribution to the United States and our, our um, country over the last 60 years. He's now like 94 years old. He is still mentoring and teaching the younger generation, even at 94. So Tom Patterson sat in his car in his 1960s on a weekend, wondering why he didn't make it to the bank between Monday and Friday. Now, for those of you old enough to remember the 1960s, there was no such thing as an ATM. If you didn't make it to the bank during the week, not on a Saturday, not on a Sunday, you were out of luck. Well, he was frustrated by that because he forgot to go to the bank, and he sat in his car and sketched out the patent for the ATM and the personal PIN card. He patented it and has been making money off of it ever since. We all use ATMs, right? It's something that we use all the time. Tom Patterson also worked for RCA and contributed to the world of technology in a lot of areas of lighting and different things. Tom Patterson came up with the idea for Space Mountain and pitched it to the Disney brothers who were so excited about it they decided to build Space Mountain. He's also been involved in advising U.S. presidents between Reagan and several others before and after on the process of improving trade with other nations around the world. And he helped NASA to solve problems for the Apollo space program. So a wide range, really smart guy. And he has a, a, a um, quote here that I want you to read with me from Tom Patterson. And he talks about a unique life and believing in God. So it says, the fascinating thing to me is that literally everything God makes is unique. Every human, every animal, flower, tree, and every blade of grass, God doesn't clone anything. Every identical, even identical twins possess their own individual uniqueness. That ought to tell us that our individuality is a sacred trust and what we do with it is our gift from God. Our best contribution in life, our utmost for the highest, can only be made as we allow God to finish his work in progress and perfect our uniqueness. To live without discovering our uniqueness and purpose is to not really live. I think God is heartbroken when his children miss out on the potential he has placed inside of them. Really good insight for us. God has given each and every one of us talents, abilities, natural gifting, spiritual gifting if you're a believer in Christ, and he wants us to use those to share and to help and serve other people. So that brings me to an interesting question because we're all told when we're young that you can be anything you want to be in life, right? Do you remember your teachers telling you that in school? Early on, you can be anything you want to be. Now, how many of you believe that's absolutely true? You can be anything you want to be. 
How many of you believe that's probably not so true, right? If you're five foot five and have a six foot or six inch vertical leap, you're not going to play in the NBA. Pretty much guaranteed, right? Five foot five with a six inch vertical leap. It's not going to happen. If you hate math, are you going to be an accountant? If you don't love dirt, are you going to be a successful farmer? No. So let's, let's look at that real quick. And I'm going to give you an example from my life. I'm one of four brothers to my mom and dad. I'm the youngest of the four. And my three older brothers, as soon as they graduated high school, went to serve two in the Navy and one in the Marines. And I had every intention when I left high school to go into the Navy because I wanted to be an F-14 Tomcat pilot. That was my dream from like 1972, 73. Uh, the Tomcat went into service for the U.S. Navy in 1970. It's probably one of the coolest jets ever designed and flown ever in history in terms of where things were at. My problem was I worked really hard in school. I got really good grades, great at math. Um, I was physically fit. I used to run 15 miles a day. You may not know that from looking at me right now, but 15 miles a day. When I was in high school, I got 11 varsity letters in three different sports over the four years in high school. So I was in really good shape. I took the aptitude test for the U.S. Navy right before I graduated from high school and scored very, very high. They were incredibly excited about the scores. And they looked at me and said, you're going to be in a nuclear submarine. And I said, no, I'm not. I want to be a fighter pilot in an F-14. And they said, okay, if you want to take that track, you need to go have a physical. We're going to check you out. We're going to do all kinds of measurements. I don't know if you know this, but an F-14 pilot has to be a certain height, a certain weight. There's a range that you can be. You can't be too tall. You can't be too short. The length from your elbow to your wrist can't be too long or too short. From your knee to your ankle can't be. Well, I did great at all those tests until they did an eye test. And... I did not have perfect 2020 vision. And back in those days, even if you had correction with your eyes, you could not be a pilot and land on an aircraft carrier without having perfect 2020 vision. So that dream for me, I wanted to be that. I was told I could be that, right? I grew up thinking I was going to be that. Didn't come true simply because I didn't have perfect vision. Now, God closed that door for me and opened another one. I was actually given an opportunity to work at a company down in Goleta starting in 1982 called Santa Barbara Research Center. It's now called Raytheon Vision Systems, just 36 years later. Um, Santa Barbara Research Center specializes in building night vision systems for the military, for satellites, for all kinds of different applications, Coast Guard, for NASA, for NOAA, for different things. So I actually got the opportunity to start working there, and I worked there for 36 years before I retired last year. And in doing that, I learned how to build night vision systems, visible image systems, that allowed our military to have a huge advantage over the last 30-something years in terms of the ability to see at night, fly at night, drive at night, do all kinds of things. And actually, when you have that capability, you don't have to go to war because you have such a huge amount of technical capability. Most people are not going to try and attack because of the fact that you can do things that they can't do. So that was my contribution relative to things. And I really do believe that that was God redirecting my focus in my life from being a fighter pilot to doing something for the military in the commercial world or in the secular world. Now, don't get me wrong. I don't want you to think if you don't practice hard and try real hard and do things. If you work hard, if you practice, you can become efficient and very good and skilled at pretty much anything. But you may not be an NBA player. You may not be an NFL football player. You may not be the president of the United States, if that's what you think. So 
as we look at that, God's given every single one of us free will, correct? What we do with that free will works best on our lives if it's aligned with God's plan because the Scripture tells us that God has planned out our lives and made us in a certain way to feel a certain way, to have a certain passion, to have a certain personality type to work for the kingdom and to make sure that all the pieces fit together and to make things work well. It's really important for us to understand that God purpose. And the Scripture tells us that if we all work together, we love people, we serve people, that it results in unity, growth, and fruitfulness. Ephesians 4, 11 through 16 says, Now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do the, His work and build up the church, the body of Christ. This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge that God's Son, that we will all be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. That is a huge statement. We all have to work hard to understand how we've been gifted so that we can come together and build the body of Christ in the church. Then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed back uh, and blown around with every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever that they sound like the truth. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way, more and more like Christ, who is the head of the body, the church. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly as each part does its own special work it helps the other parts grow so the whole body is healthy and grows and full of love. That's the calling on our life. If you want to learn more about the calling and how God's uniquely designed you, we've got a class that we offer here at the church called Discover Your Design. It was part of the announcements this morning. It's been in your bulletin the last couple of weeks. Next Sunday and Monday night, we're going to be teaching that class, and we'll do it again probably in the fall. But if you've ever been wondering, how has God uniquely designed me, this, this would be a really good first step for you. Now, the reality of us living, if we start living outside of where God has gifted us, um, what happens to us is we get fatigued and depressed, and when we fight against something, how God has uniquely made us, it causes us to really not live a life that's full, and we get tired. That's just the reality of where things are at. So the new poll numbers are in. I just checked them last week. I wanted to see how satisfied people were with their jobs. Latest polls say that 87% of the workforce doesn't like their work. 87%, that is a huge number. And 80% of people in the workforce say that they don't use their talents on a daily basis. Well, if you're not using your talents and your skills, you're feeling like you're wasting your time. Okay, as Christians, if you feel like you're wasting your time, do you think you're being a great witness at, at, at work? What happens when you feel like you're wasting your time? All of us get cranky, right? We probably don't as nice as we should be. Um, it's not a great example to have, but that, those are staggering numbers. So it's really important for us, even in our daily lives, to understand how God has uniquely designed us. Now, we're going to go through the acrostic design. It's in your outline. The first D stands for desire. What do I have a passion for? Bob Buford is an author and a leadership expert. He has a great quote here. Passion is the fuel of life. It is the great source of energy and drive. It's what makes us explore new vistas, develop new relationships, and seek solutions to perplexing problems. So desire and passion or what make a retail worker that's on their feet all day long when their friends call, get up off the couch, and go dancing for four or five hours each night. Passion and desire is what makes a construction worker who's been lifting things all day long pick up a 15-pound bowling ball and throw it a couple hundred times a night because he loves the sport of bowling. Passion and desire are what make parents and teachers and coaches get up every day and repeat themselves over and over 
and over again, all the time hoping that their child, their student, the athlete is learning something. They're taking something into their lives. Passion and desire is what makes our police, our firemen, our servicemen and women protect our lives and our freedoms. Those are the passions that have been put into their hearts. We all feel deep desire and passion for different things. That's why God has made us unique. We're not a cookie-cutter Christian. We don't all have passion for the exact same thing. If we did, it'd be kind of crowded right now in the nursery or up here doing worship because everybody would be doing the same thing. God wants us all to work together. Every human being has a God-shaped hole in her heart, and that hole needs to be filled with how God has uniquely designed you, and you need to work at understanding that so that you can be fulfilled and happy in your lives. Now, let me make sure you understand what I'm saying. Coming here on Sunday and serving is great, and we love that, and it's what you've been called to do, but we're Christians more than one day a week, right? We need to make sure that we're serving God in everything that we do seven days a week, every month, every year of our lives, because that's the calling that's been put on us. We live in freedom. We've been given that. As North American Christians, we have all kinds of opportunity and resources to do good things for other people. You can make a difference for God no matter what your age is, what your social status is, what your job is. It doesn't matter because God can use you anywhere. The letter E stands for experience. How have my experiences shaped me to support others? Now, God uses all of our experiences in life to form and shape us so that we can help other people. The high, high mountaintop experiences, God can use. The low, low valley experiences, God can use. He will use all of those. As human beings, it's funny, but we're wired to remember the painful things in life. We tend to learn more from the painful part of our life than we do from the joyous part of our life. It's probably that activity, right? When you were young and you touched something hot, you learned not to touch it again right? When you do something that causes you great pain, you tend not to do that again. Now, God allows us to learn from all of those experiences, and he never wastes a hurt. Remember back in Ephesians 2.10, it says, for we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do good things he planned for us long ago. God has a plan for you. Now, let me read you some examples of some very successful people who went through some really bad obstacles in their life and bad experiences, and they came out on the other end in really good shape. Here's the first one. He didn't talk until he was four years old, and he didn't start reading until he was seven. One of his teachers labeled him mentally slow, unsociable, and adrift. This is what was often said about Albert Einstein. He's too stupid to learn anything, said some of the teachers of a young boy named Thomas Edison. He possesses minimal football knowledge and lacks motivation, an expert said of a beginning coach named Vince Lombardi. I think he turned out okay. She will never, able be, never be able to compete at a world-class level again, said her competitors, but two years after having her arm bit off by a shark, Bethany Hamilton won first place at a national surfing championships. He went bankrupt several times and was fired by the editor of her local newspaper because he apparently had a lack of ideas. His name was Walt Disney. He failed the sixth grade and had a lifetime of setbacks and defeats, but finally, as a senior citizen, Winston Churchill became the Prime Minister of England and changed history. Soren Kierkegaard is a philosopher from a few hundred years ago. He had a great quote that says, Life can only be understood backwards, 
but it must be lived forwards. So it's interesting that you have to remember where you came from. You got to remember your experiences, good and bad, but you got to keep moving forward with your life. You got to keep moving. God wants to use the triumphs and travesties that you have been through to help other people. That's why we are called to come alongside each other and support each other in love. Now, you've heard over the last few weeks from Pastor Wayne Cordero, from Billy Calderwood last week, and from Pastor Bernie, that one of the key things for us is to use our experiences to help train up the next generation. It's one of the legacies that we can leave long after we're gone. So don't hesitate to share with people. If being prompted from God to share an experience, do it in love, do it in faith, step out and, and take care of that. Now let's talk about S for spiritual gift. What are you gifted to do? Now, a spiritual gift is a special ability that says in the Bible, given by the Holy Spirit to every believer when they accept Christ into their heart. So if you're a believer in Christ and you accepted him into your heart, you've confessed with your lips that he is Lord and Savior, you have been given spiritual gifts. You just may not know what they are. The Bible talks about it in Romans and Corinthians, different types of motivations for spiritual gifts, those being prophesying, serving, teaching, contributing, governing, and mercy. Some of the manifestations of those gifts are faith, gifts of healing, prophecy, speaking in tongues, interpretation of tongues, message of wisdom. And then there's the ministries that are called out in Ephesians 4, which we looked at earlier, being apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, helpers, administrators. There's all kinds of roles in the Bible to use your spiritual gifting. You just need to understand what it is. Now, let me talk about spiritual gifting because it gets a bad rap. Some Christians take their spiritual gift, put it in a frame, hang it on the wall, and they like to point at it and say, this is my gifting. Look how beautiful it is. And they don't use it. God gave us spiritual gifts not for our benefit, but for the benefit of others. You don't get to hold it. You don't get to hoard them. You're supposed to share them. Now, let me tell you one that's real important because this gives Christians a bad name around the world. If your spiritual gift is discernment and you walk around telling people all of their failures, all of their sins, all of their shortcomings, they're probably not going to receive that very well, right? We're supposed to speak the, the, word, the truth in, in love, not bludgeon somebody over the head with what you may or may not know about their lives. And the last one here, Jesus walked the earth and healed the lame and the sick, correct? Healed the lame and the sick. He didn't heal the blind man or the lepers, and instantly their lives were perfect, never to have to do anything the rest of their lives. He didn't set them up perfection. He got rid of an obstacle for them and allowed them, hopefully, to live a fruitful life. He's doing the same thing for us. He's already done it. God died on the cross. He rose from the dead. He removed the obstacle that kept us from having eternal life with the Father. And he expects every one of us to live a fruitful life. That is the expectation. That's what the call on our lives are. Now, let's talk about individual personality, letter I. Where does your personality best fit? Now, it doesn't take us long when we're little kids to figure out that the other kids that we're playing with aren't just like us, right? It becomes painfully obvious to us in middle school and high school, either in a good way or a bad way, depending on who's talking about you, that you are different than your peers. As you enter the workforce, you learn really, really fast that people have different approaches to solving problems. They have different ways of dealing with things. Um, it's just a myriad of activities because every single person's a little bit different in their personality. 
God loves variety. Just, just, just look around the room. Take a moment, look around the room. Just don't stare a point because that's not polite, okay? God loves variety. Now, as human beings, we understand things by looking at things, putting labels on them, and categorizing things. We love to categorize because that's how we make sense of the world in our brains. Now, from a personality standpoint, you've got the introverts, you've got the extroverts. Type A personality, type B personality, type C personality, type D personality. You have the people who are inquisitive, the people who are thinking, feeling, judging, perceiving. There are probably no less than 30 or 40 different labels that different social scientists have given individual personalities. We're all different. God wants you to serve in an area that aligns with your individual personality, but he doesn't want you to get too comfortable because he always wants to stretch you and grow you. And you will be asked to speak, to talk, to listen, to come and help somebody when you're not comfortable. And that's a good thing. You just need to follow God and be available so that God can work through you. Letter G stands for growth. How does my maturity best allow me to help others? And the second part of that, what areas do I need to continue learning and growing? Everybody know that we're supposed to be lifelong learners? Raise your hand. Help me out. Okay, only half of you are asleep. That's good. Let me read you a story about the perfect marriage. This will help you understand growth. A man and a woman had been married for more than 60 years, and they had shared everything together. They had talked about everything. They had kept no secrets from each other, except the little old woman had a shoebox that she put in the closet. And when she got married to the man, she said, I will say anything to you, but stay away from the shoebox. Don't ever open it. Don't ask me about it. He was fine with that because it didn't cause any problems. So they lived for 60 years of marriage. And one day the old woman got sick and she went to the doctor and the doctor gave them the bad news that she was not going to recover. So as the old man started to get their affairs in order, he realized the shoebox. He saw it in the closet. He pulled it down and took it to his wife's bedside. And the wife said, I agree. It's time for us to talk about this. I'm at the end of my life. I want to make sure you understand what was in that box. So the old man opened the lid of the box, and what he saw inside were three things, two crochet dolls and a stack of money. The stack of money that he counted was worth $95,000. Two crochet dolls and $95,000. So he looked at his wife and said, I don't get it. Can you explain this to me? And she said, when we were getting married, my grandmother told me the secret to a happy life and a happy marriage was to never argue with your husband. And if your husband ever did anything that made you mad, just go in a room and crochet a doll. Now, the old man was moved to tears. Two dolls. He had lived with his wife for 60 years. Two dolls. That's all. He couldn't help himself. He was ready to cry. And then he looked at his wife and said, well, what about the money? What is the money? What's that about? And she said, oh. That's the money I earned from selling the crochet dolls over the last 60 years. I know some of you are wondering, $95,000, 60 years of marriage. Let me do the math for you. It's about 4.33. So every day for their marriage, she got mad at him about four times a day. Guys, if that's true, raise your hand. No, don't raise your hand. It's a simple story, but it really does talk about growth. Now, I'll bring it back to myself for a second. I've been dating a beautiful woman for the last 38 years of my life. Her name's Angie. I married her 35 years ago. We just had her 35th wedding anniversary. 
I will tell you, you don't stay married or together for 38 years without a lot of growth, a ton of compromise, kindness, and making sure that you, you love each other, you support each other, you grow. And not every day is easy. And I'm sure I've made her mad six or seven times a day. But um, it, it causes us. We need to make sure that we're continually growing in terms of where we're at. God loves us too much to stay the same. You've heard Pastor Bernie say that many, many times. He wants us to learn and grow from our experiences. Um, he expects us to learn from our victories and our mistakes. And God doesn't want you to simply exist, right? I think people get caught up in this, and, and I, at different points in my life, have done the same thing. You get up in the morning, you go to work, you come home, you eat, you watch some TV, you do whatever you do, you go to bed. You get up the next morning, and it's Groundhog Day. You do it all over again, and you do it again, and you do it again, and you do it again. That's not living, that's existing. If you're not living out what God has called on you, you're just existing. You're not truly living day in and day out. And living with Christ and doing what God asks you to do is the biggest adventure you're ever going to have. I can guarantee you that. Now, as I worked, I've managed uh, a whole lot of people over my 36-year career. I always had two things written on my whiteboard at work, and they were reminders for me personally every day to check myself and to make sure that I was behaving and growing and doing what God called me to do. But they're also great teaching points for people that I supervised and managed. The first one was we get to choose our attitude. Just a really simple statement. We get to choose our attitude. If you want to grow in life, take that to heart. Other people can't choose your attitude for you. You can the only person that gets to choose your attitude. You don't get to blame other people for you're sad, you're happy. Choose your own attitude. That will revolutionize your life and cause you to grow spiritually if you take it to heart. The second one is lead from where you are. I've heard so many people at work that, that I've managed say that they can't get their job done because they don't have this resource, they don't have that, um, they need more stature, they need a promotion, people won't follow them because they don't have the right title in their name. God calls us to lead from where we're at. So it doesn't matter what your title in life is. It doesn't matter how old you are. If you want to do kindness and you want to do good things that God's designed you to do, you can do that at any age from any position, whether you work or not, whether you're a manager or not, regardless of what you do for your life. And that's what God expects from us. Natural abilities, letter N, natural abilities. What skills do you have? So studies have been done. Every human being has at least somewhere between 20 or 30 natural abilities. Believe it or not, if you stop and think about all the things you can do, those are natural abilities. Some people, when you see them when they're very young, you look at a kid that's got great dancing capabilities, maybe they're a good actor, uh, maybe they're great at sports. You look at them and you say, that person's got a natural knack for that. It's true. They've been born with that innate thing. So understanding your natural abilities is another way of making sure you're serving in a good spot. So I'll give you another example from my life. I knew very early on in life when I was in grade school that one of the natural abilities that I had been given was to organize people to get something done. Whether that be on a sports team, I was always a captain or co-captain of the team, whether that was organizing things. Um, when I was in grade school, um, my teachers knew I was good at math. I showed that aptitude. I actually, in fourth and fifth and sixth grade, I had the same teacher in combo classes. He allowed me to actually teach the math lessons to the rest of the, to the group there. So once a week, once one day of the five days of the week, I taught the math lesson for all of my peers, which was an interesting thing, right? It's, it's a weird juxtaposition relative to what's happening. Um, as I got into high school, I wound up being the, you know, the president of this club or uh, involved with student body. 
as I got to work, it seemed like no matter what team I was on, I was asked to be a leadership position for project teams and for program teams and things of that nature. Um, so I know it's one of the things that God's gifted me with. It's an administrative gift to be able to do something. Now, having worked for the same company for 36 years allowed me a lot of opportunity to go do things with that natural ability. I was able to fly all over the United States. Um, I kept track of all my business trips for the 36 years. I had 552 business trips over the 36-year career and 3.3 million frequent flyer miles. That's a lot of time on an airplane, right? It's a lot of time to think about what's going on. One of my favorite jobs over my 36-year career was doing customer integration visits. So we would take the technology that we developed at Santa Barbara Research Center or Raytheon, take it and physically go to the customer site and do the integration work to get it into the system so that it would make sure that it worked, it played well together. Well, that gave me a great opportunity, not only to travel the world, but I got to fly in an Apache attack helicopter, run around in an M1A1 tank, um, be in an armored personnel carrier, which is fun to do for like five minutes, by the way. You don't want to do any of those things unless you're really, really small as, as a profession. Um, if you're claustrophobic, stay far, far away from an M1 tank. But the opportunity allowed me, the best thing I liked about it was learning the technology, learning to solve problems on the fly, but probably the best thing was learning to meet different cultures, talk to different people. Um, it allowed me to go all over the world and see beautiful things, beautiful architecture. And I want to show you some images of the place that I love to visit the most, which was Florence, Italy. Okay, so there was a site that did some work with us outside of Florence, Italy. That is the cathedral in the middle of Florence, it's got a huge dome in the bell tower, and then right in the foreground in front of it is the Uffizi Gallery that houses some of the world's greatest masterpieces of art that you will ever find. The frescoes on the inside of the dome are gorgeous. It took years for the artist to put those frescoes together. They are incredible visions and images of the Bible come to life on the ceiling of the cathedral. And then the Academia, one of the best art galleries in the world, is in downtown Florence, Italy, where Michelangelo's Statue of David is. Now, that statue is incredible to see. When you stand next to that, you think, oh, it's a statue. No, it's about 18 feet tall and is incredible the amount of detail in the hands, the veins in the hands, the ability that Michelangelo has. So can we agree that God created people and people can create a masterpiece? Amen? We see them all over the place in terms of, of that. So if God can create masterpieces and people can create masterpieces, don't have a hard time believing that you can be a masterpiece for God. It doesn't mean you have to be an artist or an architect. You need to be what God planned you to be. So one of the things I want you to take away with you before we stop here today is that all of us were made for a mission. The title of this teaching is A Kingdom Purpose. We all have a kingdom purpose. If you don't understand your design, you're going to end up doing and chasing things that God never intended for you. And that will lead to regret. You can't get back time. It's one thing you can't ever get back is time. If you waste time, you're never going to get that back. The Bible tells us that we were not created to simply exist or consume. We were not created to conform to the views of this world. We were not created to compare yourself to other people. You need to be unique. You were not created to compromise so that others accept you or like you. You were created to contribute to God's kingdom and make a significant difference in your life.
Philippians 1.6 says, Be confident in this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Every single one of us in this room and in the world is a work in progress. We never arrive until we're face-to-face with God in heaven. A great masterpiece takes time. It takes effort to complete. So I have a question for you. What are you going to do with the blessings and the gifting and the talents that God has given you? Are you going to become the masterpiece that he planned for you before you were born and taking a breath? Are you going to take your time and do what God wants you to do and understand what's going on? If you want to work toward becoming the masterpiece that God intended, it requires action. It requires us to practice, to have effort for learning, for improvement, for understanding, and most of all, a willingness to allow God to move in our lives. Now, before we close, I want to read you a story from Max Licato, who's probably one of my favorite authors. He has just a great way of taking complex things and writing them down and being very simple. So here's a story from Shaped by God from Max Licato. It says, in the shop of a blacksmith, there are three types of tools. There are tools on the junk pile that are outdated, broken, dusty, and dull. They sit in the cobweb corner, useless to their master, oblivious to their calling. There are tools on the anvil, melted down, molten hot, moldable, and changeable. They lie on the anvil, being shaped by their master, accepting their calling. Then there are tools of usefulness, sharpened, primed, defined, and mobile. They lie ready in the blacksmith's tool chest, available to their master, fulfilling their calling. Some people lie useless, lives broken, talents wasting, fires quenched, dreams smashed. They are tossed in with a scrap iron in desperate need of repair with no notion of purpose. Others lie on the anvil, hearts wide open, hungry to change, Wounds healing, visions clearing. They welcome the painful pounding of the blacksmith's hammer, longing to be rebuilt, begging to be called. Others lie in their master's hands, well-tuned, uncompromised, polished, and productive. They respond to the master's forearm, demanding nothing, surrendering their all. We all, somewhere, we are all somewhere in the blacksmith shop. Every single one of us. We're either on the scrap pile, in the master's hand, We're in the tool chest. Some of us have been in all three places. The choice of where we stay is ultimately ours. We hope you enjoyed today's message. Please visit us at mylfc.com for more information about our church. Thank you so much for listening.